We're digging into Colossians, and we're in chapter 3. We're right about halfway through this thing, but don't set your calendars by it because we may take a while after this. In Colossians 3, I think it's important when you read, especially like Ephesians and Colossians, there's some really big stuff at the, at the front end of these letters. And by the time you get to the middle, there's some instruction. There's some instruction regarding how we should live, how we should talk, how we should behave. And when you isolate that instruction without the first part, it would be easy for you to just begin to say, well, we just need to act better. We just need to talk better and, and, and try to, in your own strength, get that done. And really, you're, you're, you're headed for failure if, if you do that because, listen, as the scripture said, if we, could have, if we could have kept the law in our own strength and our own flesh, we would have. Uh, if, we, if we could have been perfect, we would have been perfect. But uh, the only way we can live like Christ is by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God by that reborn new nature that he's given you. So as, we, as we're about to get into uh, what Paul's about to tell us about, uh, you know, what, how should we talk as believers? How should we walk as believers? And how, what should we leave behind? It's important to remember that this is the middle of the letter. And the beginning of the letter spent a lot of time talking about who you are in Christ, about how you've been raised up with him. And, and, and we just left off last week with this thought of seeking, keep seeking, he says, the things above. Keep seeking the things above, not the things that are on the earth beneath. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, because our life is hidden in Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, and we're going to go into chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, so therefore, remember the therefore is connected to if you've been raised up with Christ. That's the beginning of chapter 3. If you've been raised up with Christ. So if you have not experienced the resurrection power of God, then the rest of this is not for you. Because there's no way you're going to get it done without resurrection. There's no way you're going to get this done without being born again. There's always been the debate in a a Judeo-Christian society. The debate is, can Christianity be useful for moral living if we take out All that supernatural stuff. Men like Thomas Jefferson rewrote, Jefferson rewrote the Gospels and packaged it in a new writing, basically saying the moral teachings of Jesus Christ. He took out the miracles, he took out the resurrection, anything that confronted his humanistic worldview, that there, you know, that in his mind, enlightened worldview, that there was no such thing as supernatural. Everything could be explained through just observation and science. What he didn't understand was is that uh, the supernatural is, is quite natural to God. If you, you, if you take out the resurrection, Paul said this, if there is no resurrection, we, we have no hope. There's no point in all of this. He says we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel. And so if there's no gospel, there's no morality in Christianity that has any power without the resurrection. You could teach it in schools. You can let it be a part of government. And like salt, it will season and flavor and preserve society for a while. But if you want to see what happens to a moralistic Christianity without the power, you have only to look at European nations 
that were run by the church. And now their governments are extremely secular. Their people are hostile to Christianity. Maybe they hold to a form of religion, but they deny the power thereof. Thank God God's stirring those fires up in Europe again. Hallelujah. It's awesome to see. But they went through a very dark time because of the fact that you had church and church was part of the culture, but you had no power to it. When you take the power out of Christianity, you take the life out of it. And all that's left is a corpse, right? So here we are. He says, therefore, therefore, consider. Now, before that, he said, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ. And before that, he said, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why do you keep living in them? So he's building a foundation that you died, you were resurrected, and now I'm going to tell you how to live in a resurrection life. So he says this, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. When he says passion, sometimes we trip over that and go, wait a minute, I thought you told me, thought you said we're supposed to have a passion for Jesus. That word passion in the Greek, it, it, basically what it's implying is that you just do whatever you feel like in the moment. You're, you're, you, there's no control in your life. There's no self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Passion, as we know it, that word passion for us now is a good thing, the way we understand passion. But what he's talking about here is not, it's not, he's not talking about energy or excitement is bad. He's saying for you to just be led around by whatever mood you're in and by whatever you feel like really strongly in the moment where you're not in control, where the Holy Spirit's not in control, and you're just losing control to your feelings because passion itself, it's coming from a word pathos, which means what you feel. You know what I mean? So here, when we're saying dead to passion, he's not saying you shouldn't be excited for God. He's saying you shouldn't just say, I couldn't help it. I was swept up. It was a crime of passion, right? That's where the word comes. That's where that that whole phrase comes from. It's a crime of passion. He couldn't help but hit her over the head with the thing because she told him she she was cheating on him and he just grabbed the nearest thing. Well, no, as a believer, you're dead to that. I know that should be obvious, right? Like, manslaughter is bad, folks. Um, Here, dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to that kind of passion, dead to evil desire, dead to greed, which amounts to idolatry. Isn't that awesome? He explains what the problem with greed is, is it's idolatry. Greed is making an idol out of something that's just as dumb as making it out of wood. It's, It's just money or whatever you're greedy for. Then he says this in verse 6. He says, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You notice that he says, There was a time when you were living in these things. Or you were living amongst this disobedience. That was, that was where your life, but that's not your life anymore. Remember, he says, your life is in Christ. You're seated above. Keep seeking the things above. So he's telling you, it's important that you know there is, a, there is a line. I know we all say our life is a journey and God's been in the journey all along. And, and I believe that. I believe that God's been in your story before you were in your mother's womb. I believe that. However, there is a pretty clear line where you were born again. I got to believe that. Because if I don't believe that, then all we're doing is we're just, you know, we're, we're going back to the standard of a scale of good and bad in heaven. I got to believe there's a point where you were dead, but now you're alive. And 
The reason that Paul talks like this is because some people who are alive are not acting like they're alive. And he doesn't say, you guys died again, now you got to come alive again. No, he, he reminds them, you are resurrected. You died. Now remember this. This is how you're going to be free from sin. This is how you're going to be free from that old life. He says in verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put it aside. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now do you see this? They've already been born again. They've already been crucified with Christ. That old self died on Golgotha that day. That old self died on Good Friday. It's dead. However, you still have to lay it aside. You still have to unchain the corpse and put it where it belongs. Because otherwise, it's following you around. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Watch that again in verse 8. Put it all aside. Put anger aside. Put wrath aside, put malice, put slander, put abusive speech from your mouth. I, I know that you guys are just wonderful people, but I guarantee there's been times recently that you've had to choose to put one of these things aside. You had to make that choice. It, uh, you know, you had to say, no, that's not how Jesus would respond right now. You know what's heartbreaking for me? I'm not, I'm not on Facebook other than officially. Like, I, I have an account that, uh, you know, people can send me messages and I'll check it every one, once in a while, but I'm not on it. But I am on Twitter from time to time. I don't post anymore, but I look. And on these media, social media sites, what, what really hurts me is when I see just somebody use all of these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, and then you go to their profile and they say, God and family first. Jesus first, Philippians 4.12, whatever. That breaks my heart. Because not only are, 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 do you see that they're not living as Christ is calling them to live, at least, not, at least from the little I know of them, which is what they're putting out publicly, but this is the witness to the world. That's the witness to the world. And I think there's things that drag us into it. I think maybe you're a, an intense sports fan and, and you get a little too much into your sports fandom and you get into this. But what, what I see right now is, is especially in politics, I mean, Guys, there is no political party. There is no political movement. There's no politician so bad that they should drag you out of your Christ-like love. And it's right to speak truth, and it's right to speak up for righteousness. It's right to speak up against unrighteousness. But it's not right for you to respond in anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. I've seen somebody use the N-word, and you click on their profile, Jesus first. And I just want to, like, publicly denounce them, <laughs> you know, I don't, because that's not my job, but man, I just go, can you imagine, I know I'm speaking real honestly with you about this, I know it's not fun to talk about that, but guys, we have got to, we have got to be the example, and, and not only to the world, but to other believers, you're saved, you're saved, we don't win, like, we don't win that way, we are believers. If we're going if, if, if to gain ground, if we're going to take ground, it's going to be by the Spirit of God. So this is very important. He says, you've got to put that away. That's the old way of doing things. And it's important to remember this because Paul was actually called out for this. In Corinth, 
They had super apostles come and they put Paul down because they wanted to take his place. And one of the things they criticized him for was that when he came in person, he wasn't that brash. He wasn't that loud. He wasn't that forceful. And they said, you know, he seems real forceful in his letters, but in person, he's a pussycat. You know, he's, he's a teddy bear. He, he's a wimp. And he said, you guys are acting as if I'm warring according to the weapons of this world. What's he saying? That's the fleshly way to fight. And we don't fight that way. He says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Now, we talk about that. We talk about guns and swords. But in this context, he's talking about the speech he uses and the way he makes people do something. He, he, he has a whole church of people that thinks if he doesn't come and yell at them, if he doesn't come and beat the other guys down, if he doesn't come and use, use all these things, that he's a wimp. He can't stand up for himself. And he goes, that's the world's way of fighting. We are a new type of people. And our weapons are not fleshly, but they are mighty before God to the pulling down of strongholds. If you slip back into this, you slip back into the flesh and you won't pull down any supernatural strongholds. You see, this is why we're having prayer next week. Because the battles that the church needs to be fighting are far bigger and greater and more far-reaching consequence than any battle the rest of the country's fighting. And if we're going to win the battle, it's not going to be the way everybody thinks you're going to win it. It's going to be through the weapons of righteousness. It's going to be by prayer. It's going to be the power of God that tears down these strongholds. So you can't play with both. You can't play on both sides. You can't use both weapons. You can't be fleshly and spiritual. You've got to pick one. If you want to play the fleshly game, don't expect there to be any power to it. Right? I've seen, you know, well, never mind. <laughs> Verse 9. Let's keep to the word here. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Now listen. You've laid aside the old self. Watch this in verse 10. Now you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Christ is all, amen. Christ is all and Christ is in all. We'll spend more time on this next week, but uh, I just want you to see what he's saying. You've, you've put on a new self. That's an action you have to choose. A, one post-born again thing you've got to do is choose to put on Christ. Romans says it this way. It says, and put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on Christ. He's talking to believers. Believers, put on Christ. What does that mean? Put on Christ. He, let's, let's read this and then we'll talk about it. In the next verse, he says this. He says, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, a heart of compassion, a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So in, in this great chapter, he's told you what to put off and what to put on. How do you do that practically? You know, my, my grandma, 
was an awesome woman of faith. Um, she, got, she got born again later in life, but once she really caught on to, to the things of God, she never looked back. She was an intercessor. She was the head of the prayer team at her church until she couldn't physically do it anymore. And she was just a wonderful lady. But she would, you know, uh, she would go through that Ephesians 6, and every morning she would, she would talk about it. She, she would say, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and, and all of that. And that was part of her routine to remind herself of the armor of God that she's putting on. But you know... The purpose for her to do that was to remind her throughout the day to walk in those things. There's really no power in going, I am putting on the helmet of salvation. Okay, it's on. I'm good. I am now putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you see that? Devil, the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, you know, like there's no spiritual thing you can do in the morning that, that just does that. How do you put on these things? You walk in them by faith. That's how you do it. How do you put on the gospel, uh, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace? How do you do that? By preaching the gospel. Right? By believing the gospel and preaching the gospel. That's how you put it on. That's how you wear it. You wear it, in fact, throughout, throughout the scripture, wearing something is tied to living something. So Paul says, he talks to, talks to servants, he says, you know, you should act this way at your job. You should act this way towards your masters, even when they don't treat you right. He said, and in such a way, and he says this in, in Titus, if you want to look at it. He says, in such a way, wear your doctrine. Wear your beliefs. By the way you live, you're wearing what you believe. It's visible. It's active. And so when you talk about the armor of God, how do I put on these things? You live in them. You walk in them by faith. And this is how I put on Christ. How do I put on Christ? By faith. I've got to believe that, that I know that I don't have these qualities in myself. I know I, I couldn't do this by myself, but I'm not myself anymore. I'm born again. I've got the spirit of God. I've got Christ in me, the hope of glory. So now put it on. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. I love those two things together because they do go together. Every time, I mean, there's going to be moments in your life, decision points, and they rarely come in the, in, the, in the nice times. They usually come in the times of tension and stress, the times of possible strife, the times of uh, uh, where you're being pushed by somebody or something where you have to choose what I want to do. It, what would feel good right now is to do this. But what I know Jesus wants me to do, what I know the Spirit would do is this, and I'm going to choose this. So I feel like using some abusive speech right now because I know things about this person that could tear them down and would shut their mouth. And somebody needs to shut their mouth. Look what they're saying about me. I could end this in one blistering sentence. I could confront them. I could tell them what I know about them. What right do they have to speak to me this way? What right do they have? All right, we could do some Shakespeare. Um, you know, like, who are they? And in that moment, what would feel good is just to tear them down like they've torn you down. And in that moment, you say, nope, I'm putting on love. I am putting on love. So how do I put on love? Paul said, the life I've been, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> 
And the life I live now, this is in Galatians 2, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what he's saying. I've been crucified. So the life I live now, I've got to live by faith. How do you live a life by faith? A lot of times when we talk about living by faith, we're, we're, we're talking about like the miraculous, which you need to, that only comes through faith. But living a life by faith is not restricted to healing or uh, intercession or miracles or anything. It's not just restricted to that part of the spiritual walk. It's in every area of your life. You have to live by faith. That means everything I do, I'm having to believe that something happened to me that changed everything. And that it's no longer just me that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That's what the Bible says, right? It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So faith is, is, an, is usually accompanied almost, well, it's always accompanied by action. Your faith that Jesus lives in you, without accompanying action, has no power to it. Faith without works is dead. So when I believe that I'm a new creation in Christ, I have got to step out in love when I don't feel like I have love. And in the act of stepping out in love, in f- my, my faith is this. Lord, as I obey your word and I'm putting on love and I'm putting on compassion and I'm putting on kindness and I'm putting on gentleness, I know that in my choice as I choose this, your power's there. You're there to do it. You're there to get it done. I don't know how many times, I mean, it's like Peter walking on the water. The power of God was not felt in the boat. The power of God was not felt on the side of the boat. The power of God was felt the moment his foot hit the water. So if you're waiting for your heart to be filled with nothing but love for those that persecute you, and then you'll act. Lord, just, um, right now all I feel is hate. So I'm waiting till you fill me up with love. Just fill me up with love. Go ahead, Lord. Fill me up with love. I'm not feeling it, Lord. I still feel just hate towards them. Fill me with love. Fill me with love. While they're standing right there wondering why you're talking to yourself. <laughs> you know what you do? You make the choice. I'm going to walk in love. That's you sticking your foot out. Yep. And saying, God, when I stick my foot out, you're going to cause me to walk on water. I don't feel love right now, but as I walk in love, you'll notice something. The love is there. Because you just walk by faith and not by feelings. You just walk by faith. And where the faith is, there's power. Faith is how we lay hold of grace. Grace is free. It's freely given. But you have to have faith. That's how you got saved. You didn't wait till you felt saved. You confessed with your mouth. You believe with your heart, and you were justified. So here, put on love. Going back, let's go back and read these again because they're pretty important. I want you to see first, before we read those things again, read in verse 12, those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Remember how I told you in the middle of these letters, he begins to give you instruction But the instruction only has power if you read the first of the letter where he's telling you how you can do this by the power of God, who you are in Jesus, who you are in Christ. Well, now watch this. 
Once again, he's going to tell you something that's kind of difficult. Kind of difficult. In a messed up world with messed up people that are going to hurt you, that are going to offend you, that are going to, all these things are going to stretch you and push you to the point where you don't think you can handle it. He's reminding you who you are again. Before he tells you what to do, he wants you to know that you know that you know who you are. You've been chosen of God. God wouldn't choose you. He wouldn't choose you if he couldn't empower you. He wouldn't choose you if he couldn't resurrect you. He wouldn't choose you if he couldn't recreate you in his image. He wouldn't choose you if there was no hope for you. And everybody on the planet, there's hope in Christ, right? You are chosen of God. You haven't been thrown out, right? Like he hasn't looked through the batch and gone, ooh, bad apple. Ugh. You were chosen. You were considered, I don't know how. Well, I do know how. It's by the grace of God. We were considered worthy of him. Because of Jesus, I'm considered worthy of God. He's not a, Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. God is not ashamed to call me his own possession. He's not ashamed to tell people I'm his son. That's impressive. I've given him plenty of reason to say, but I don't know that kid. I, I, I'm, he's adopted. No, he, 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 he claims me. He claims you. You've been chosen of God. You haven't been thrown out. So why do you disqualify yourself if the judge of all creation who's perfect in everything chooses you? Then why do you say you can't? Why do you say you're not worthy of it? Why do you say, well, that's everybody else. I, I don't have it in me to walk like Jesus. I don't have it in me to, 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 to be like you're talking about. I, I can't do that. Why do you say that if God himself chose you? And he says, you are holy. See, the people that are reading this, they need to hear, you need to hear you're holy before you start feeling and living holy. You need to hear it. You need to know it. You are holy because of what Jesus did. You've been sanctified. You are holy. You are a saint. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm a saint. I'm holy. And I'm loved. I'm loved. It's a basic foundational truth, but it can't be said enough. You can't love someone until you know you're loved. You can't give away what you've not received. A glass can only pour out what it's been filled with. We love because he first loved us. You have nothing to give until you're willing to receive it. And the reason we can't freely love people is if we ever struggle with freely loving someone, it's because we've not learned how to freely receive love from God. I am chosen, I am holy, and I am loved. Those three basic principles are the three biggest stumbling blocks for Christians since the beginning of Christianity. Those are the three things that Satan will attack every time in your mind. Because if he realizes, folks, Satan can't steal a gift that God gave you. He has no power to steal anything from you that God gave you, right? He can't steal a call on your life. He can't steal the grace on your life. He can't steal a gift that God's given you. He can't steal that stuff. The only thing he can do is somehow get you to lay it down. And he'll attack these three things. He'll attack that idea that you've been chosen of God. He'll attack the idea that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that I'm holy. And he'll attack 
the truth that you are loved. So you'll know Satan's lies when they are the opposite of these three things. You'll know it. And when you hear that voice, I think, and I I learned this the hard way, you can't fight thoughts with thoughts. Satan, Ephesians 6 says he fires these fiery darts at you. And you know, maybe that's a situation or circumstance, but I think a fiery dart is often, um, comes in the form of temptation, comes in the form of thoughts that that are hitting you. I do believe that that Satan can whisper in your ear. I, I do believe that, whether he, he does it just, when, he can do it when you're by yourself or he can do it through somebody else. But I, I think he can, he, can, he can put a thought out there. So I used to just kind of like think back at it. And rebuke the devil in my head because I don't want to open my mouth and look like a crazy person. And I would, think, I would think about a scripture and I would try to focus on that scripture. But I really believe now that you shouldn't fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts with words. It's what Jesus did when he was tempted. He didn't, because Satan can't read your brain, right? If you want to rebuke the devil, you got to open your mouth. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't get to get around demon-possessed people and just do thought battles with them. I'm crushing your head. You know, he just, he, he opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. It's what you've got to do. If, 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 I mean, a servant is not greater than his master. If Jesus did it, we do it, right? So you open your mouth, and, and if, if this is what you need to say, look, there's a lot of scriptures that speak about these three things, and you could quote all of them, but if you only know one, remember this one. I'm chosen of God, I am holy, and I'm loved by God. And on the basis of those three foundational elements, I'm going to put on a heart of compassion. How do I put on a heart of compassion? Because I know he had compassion for me. Because I've received compassion, I can give compassion. As Jesus said to that woman that washed his feet, she has been forgiven much, so she has a lot of love. I can put on kindness. What does this mean? Listen, I know there are times where kindness is natural. Most of you don't see a cute puppy and just want to kick it. Right? I hate cute puppies. Like, you know, you don't see a baby monkey and just want to strangle it. You know, there is natural, you know, once again, as as Willie Shakespeare said, the, the milk of human kindness. You know, there's just natural human kindness that we feel for cute babies and cute animals and, 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 and nice people. You, you kind of feel like you reciprocate kindness. Most of you, not all of you, most of you when you sit out in a restaurant and a waitress treats you real nice or a waiter treats you real nice, you're nice back to them. That's nothing odd. That's, that's not really supernatural. Everybody does that. But probably when you need to put on kindness is when everything in you and your old self in the flesh wants to go the other way. And somebody is poking you to the point. Where the last natural reaction is kindness. So I put on kindness. Because of the kindness of God. You know every one of these. I love it. Every one of these elements. I can give you scripture after scripture. Where it says that Jesus had this. And he showed it towards us. He didn't just have it. He demonstrated it towards us. In fact, the scripture talks about Jesus dying for us and it says it was a result of God's great kindness. You ever thought about that? The kindness of God? 
the humility of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, and patience. So I want you to remember as we're reading through this chapter, every moment of your life, you're putting something off and you're putting something on. Keith Moore said it this way. He said, you're always, at any given time, you are always yielding to something and you're resisting something. Yield to the spirit, resist the devil. Yield to the spirit, resist the flesh. You're making a choice. In the same way, you're putting something off and you're putting something on. These are choices we make, folks. It's in the choices that the power of God is made perfect. It's in the choices in our, as as the scripture says, Paul said, in my weakness, the power of God is made perfect. It's understanding I'm weak in this area. I need Christ. I'm not a kind enough person to be, to be that kind in every situation. I need him. The sooner you realize it, the more you just flip the switch all the time, rather than waiting until you come to your end. You know, we, we Jesus take the wheel it all the time where we wait until we're about to go off a cliff and Jesus take the wheel. We, we, we should just live a life where he has the wheel. Right? We're putting the oxygen tank on when we're scuba diving, right when we're about to die, uh, uh, you know, and, and we're about to run out of air. We're turning blue. We take another breath and then we rip it off again. That's a stupid way to scuba dive. Keep the mask on. Right? Keep relying on Jesus. Don't wait. Oh, when I reach my end, when I've done all I can do, then I rely, I cry out to God and I realize I need him. Oh, and friends, he loves when you reach the end of your rope and you realize you need him. Don't be, any, uh, don't be a fool. <laughs> don't wait till you reach the end of your rope. You know how much time you wasted? Just realize from the start, without him, I'm nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But abiding in him, I can bear much fruit. So I will always abide in Christ. I will glory in the fact that I'm not strong enough for this. But his power is made perfect in my weakness. I'll glory in that. I will glory in the fact that I wasn't a nice enough. I wasn't gentle. I wasn't humble. I wasn't kind. I wasn't compassionate without Jesus. I will glory in the fact that he's more than enough for me. His grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to celebrate that rather than hide it. Look at that. Look at that idiot. The rest of us can hold it together. That guy needs Jesus all the time. (laughs) Look at him. No, let's celebrate that. I need Jesus all the time. I don't realize I need him more than yesterday. I need him 100% every day. So I'm going to put that on and I'm going to have to put some stuff off. I'm going to have to choose to put that away from myself. What did he say? Put it away from you. Put it away from you because it keeps like floating back like that corpse in the water. It just the wrath and the malice and the old stuff that you used to say. And you thought you were done with it until husband and wife getting a fight at home or a guy at work insults your family or, or somebody on Facebook talked about the guy I voted for. <laughs> Keyboard warrior, activate. That, that doesn't change anybody's heart. Doesn't change. I trust me. There's nobody that goes, oh, you're right. That moment. 
Uh, it didn't click until you called me a moron, but you're so right. I'm changing my vote. Oh, I, I, gosh, I no longer believe what I held so dear. It was you, anonymous uh, uh, social media warrior. You did this to me. It was your name calling that really put me in my place. It does nothing. It's the weapons of the flesh. And the weapons of the flesh are not our weapons. And they will never pull down real strongholds. I believe when Paul talked about pulling down strongholds, he's talking about changing culture, changing thought patterns, changing paradigms. So the only way these change is by the weapons of righteousness. The only way this changes is by the divinely powerful weapons of God. And they... You don't act like the world. You act like Jesus. Here's a rule of thumb. If you can't see Jesus doing it, don't do it. If you can't see Jesus saying it, don't say it. I know you say, well, yeah, but he flipped the tables and got his whip out. Yeah. But even then, he never stopped being love. Even then, he never stepped out of who he was. And even when they blindfolded him and beat him and plucked out his beard and said, prophesy who hit you, he opened not his mouth. Even when he could have called down angels to kill them all, he did not do it. Even when Herod tried to goad him into a sticking up for himself, he didn't fight that fight. Even when he was on the cross and they mocked him, he said, I forgive you. He even went further and said, Father, forgive them. And that's what he says here. He says, if you have anything against anybody, forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. I find it a great rule of thumb. Like I said earlier, this is the way it will totally, it'll totally um, neuter any power that your flesh has over you, that your anger has. It will just, it'll just totally rip the wires out. When you think of how much compassion he had for me, how much mercy he had on me, how he forgave me. I, you know, if the Bible gave us a loophole and just said, forgive one another, we could define that. But he says, forgive each other as Christ forgave you. Christ forgave you before you gave him any reason to forgive you. He forgave you in the midst of your your enmity towards him. He forgave you in the midst of your most vile, hateful things you were saying about him. He forgave you. He forgave people in the moment of his pain. And so it says, forgive each other that way, which tells me that the only way I'm ever going to see who I am and how I should live is to be reminded that I am in Christ, that's who I am. I've been recreated in his likeness. And so let me just look at Jesus and see what he is and who he is and what he's been, what he's done for me. And Jesus is not a pushover. He's not a wimp. He's not a doormat. He's a great king, but he is love. And he's all these things and he's shown all these things to you. So let's put on that. Let's put on Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. I found, and I believe this strongly, and I'll just share it with you, that anytime you give yourself permission to do something, you'll take yourself up on it. So if a couple always keeps in the back of their mind, if this doesn't work out, we'll get divorced, I, you're going to get divorced. At some point, you'll get divorced. 
unless somebody just dies early. Because you open that back door. As long as that door is open, there's going to be a point where you just go, it would just be easier to do this. If, you, if, you, if in your head, if somebody says enough bad things about your mom, you're going to hit them? You're going to hit them. The devil knows how to get you there. If you make provision for the flesh, the flesh will take advantage. You've got to make no provision for the flesh. I've got to say this is not an option. It's not an option for me to step out of who I am in Christ. Not an option. It's not an option. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't. Choose that it's not an option and watch as you burn the old ships, as you throw your hat over the wall, as you cut off any path to retreat and you just choose to walk in Christ, watch him show up and provide a way for you where there seems to be no way. The Israelites wouldn't have, wouldn't have walked through the Red Sea if the Egyptians hadn't been at their back. The Egyptians hadn't been chasing them, they would have tried to find a way around. Sometimes it's the, I have no other option that causes you to walk in the miraculous. So make the, make the choice right away. I have no other option but to walk as a new creation in Christ Jesus. I, I leave no provision for the flesh. I'm putting on Christ. Let's stand up and pray.